it's fantastic to be able to uh, have the privilege of, of sharing God's word this morning uh, on, our, on our theme for, for, for this period of time, on, on earth uh, as in heaven. And uh, as already mentioned, who, who is my neighbor? As, as the church, as, as God's uh, kingdom community, you know, we, we're called to prioritize, aren't we? we? We're called to prioritize over all other concerns those things that are priorities on, on, on God's uh, agenda. That's okay, bring, bring the kind of glass up. You know, it's, it, it, it's not a, a highly polished, a kind of televised BBC thing. This is, this is Beck, brilliant, thank you. Oh, yeah, I'm breathing this. <laughs> Good. <laughs> where, was I, where was I going? Okay. So we, we're thinking of, 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 of God's agenda, aren't we, and what is on his agenda? Uh, amen. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's when we, when we, when we, when asked how, how should we pray, uh, Jesus' instructions to his disciples was clear. Yeah, your kingdom come, yeah, your will be done on earth as in heaven. It is a prayer that sets the Father's agenda above all other agendas. His rights above our rights. And yet we recognize, don't we, that... We, the, the, the tension between you know, what we have been listening to over the past few weeks on, on, on social action and the reality of our everyday lives uh, lived out. There can, there can often be a, a, a disconnect, as it were. That we may be nodding about things on, on, on a Sunday morning, and yet our, our lives, our day-to-day -day experiences of engagement, they're, they're, they don't kind of quite match up all the time. And, and, and if we're honest, we, we, we can be left feeling quite uh, overwhelmed if we're honest. I know I can. Especially with everything that we've been having to deal with over the last few years, and you go and whack social justice on top of that, and it can be... But then we have to remind uh, ourselves, don't we? You know, that as, as disciples of Jesus Christ, as, as his followers, you know, we, we, we are on a, a, a journey. And, and a part of that journey is learning to think right. To think right about the world we live in. You know, this was the case in Jesus' day. And it's also the case in, 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 in our day as well, as we face the different challenges yeah, the Apostle Paul describes this thinking right in the book of Romans as the renewing of our minds. You'll be transformed by the renewing of our minds, he says, as we filter our experiences through the lens of Scripture. Yeah, the danger is, is that we have to kind of filter Scripture through the lens of experience and end up in a complete mess, and that's never a good idea. And so it's as we correct and, and, and adjust our thinking towards kingdom values and priorities, you know, so our actions are influenced. And from our thinking, there our actions flow. 
prompted and empowered by the Holy Spirit, but informed by the Word of God. And that's what we're going to turn to now. So if you've got your Bibles uh, open, either tap to them or turn them, uh, or you can read them on the screen. And we're going to be looking at Psalm 146. If I, I'm using this as a bit of a springboard, uh, but you'll, you'll figure it out as, as, as we go along where we're going. So Psalm 146. Praise the Lord. You know, praise the Lord, O my soul. I will praise the Lord all my life. I will praise, I will sing praise to my God as long as I live. You know, do not put your trust in princes, in human beings who cannot save. Yet when their spirit departs, they return to the ground. And on that very day, their plans come to nothing. Blessed are those who help is in the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord their God. Yet he is the maker of the heavens and the earth, the sea and everything that is in them. Yet he remains faithful forever. Yet he upholds the cause of the oppressed and gives bread to the hungry. You know, the Lord loosens those who are bound. The Lord gives sight to the blind. The Lord lives up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves those who do right or the righteous. You know, the Lord watches over the foreigner and sustains the fatherless and the widow. And he frustrates the ways of the wicked. The Lord reigns forever. Your God, O Zion, for all generations. Praise the Lord. In 2015, our screens were filled or being filled with the images of the plight of Syrian refugees fleeing harrowing experiences being inflicted on them by the so-called Islamic State. But it, it was really those images of that drowned toddler lying face down on that Turkish beach, you know, that, that really shook us, forces to sit up and, and really take notice, didn't it? You know, with images such as these, you know, it would be difficult for even the hardest of hearts not to feel some kind of empathy towards the plight of those fleeing conflict. You know, it, it, it served as a stark reminder, didn't it? And it continues to do so of, of our broken world. And with the stories such as, as these, you may even be, be tempted to, to question, you know, the goodness of God. And I know this is a big issue. You know, how could God allow such things to happen? But that's the kind of topic for a different time may be, but we ask the questions why? Just thinking back to this psalm. You know, the first thing we notice about this, this, this psalm, it's, it, it's firstly a psalm of, of praise. You know, praise the Lord. You praise the Lord, O my soul, the psalm says. And then in verses 3 to 5, we are invited to consider, you know, where we, where we place our trust. 
you know, where we pin our hopes through our experiences, through what we see in the world. And it describes as blessed those who help, whose help is in the God of Jacob, the Lord our God. You know, as believers, we, we, we're considered to be blessed because of who we place our trust. And then the psalmist continues to paint this backdrop and it fills our horizons with, 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 with utter splendor, with, with the majesty, with, with, with the, the majesty of, of God who, who creates all these things because he, he is the one who is truly awesome. And he is the one who is behind all things that are truly awe-inspiring. You know, often these days we use, we throw the word awesome around uh, as if it fits anything and everything. But really it's only God who is truly awesome. And then from this majestic vantage point, the psalmist unfolds the Father's character. And now the backdrop shifts towards the brokenness of the beautiful world that God has created. And it talks of his care and his compassion. You know, he upholds the cause of the oppressed and gives food to the hungry. You know, the Lord sets those bound free. He gives sight to the blind. You know, the Lord lifts those who are bowed down and he loves the righteous. And here is the part I, I want us to be focusing on yeah, this morning. The Lord watches over the foreigner and he sustains the fatherless and the widow. The foreigner, the fatherless and the widow. When we read throughout the Bible, we see these categories of people that are repeated again and again and again. You know, and when, when, when repetition takes place in Scripture, what it does, it increases the gravity of the subject of what God is wanting to draw the reader's attention to. And here the weight falls on the importance God places on care for the most vulnerable in society. You're those who are most susceptible to neglect, abuse, and exploitation. It's the fatherless, the widow, and the foreigner. You've probably already gathered from the title of today's message that our focus is going to be on the foreigner, but it doesn't exclude the orphan and the widow because conflict creates plenty of those around the world. But listen to how, what Deuteronomy says. You know, the psalmist is reflecting what's already in, in, in God's written law. And this is, what the, this, is, this is what the book of Deuteronomy says. He says, he says, God loves the foreigner residing among you giving them food and clothing. And you, reminding the people of God, you are to love those who are foreign. Why? Because you yourselves were foreigners in Egypt. 
You should know of all people what it's like to be in a foreign land. You know, since the, the, the shocking images uh, appeared of the Syrian toddler washed up on the beach, there has been you know, a, a lot of debate about how we should respond to this enormous 21st century crisis of the displacement of people and mass migration. And the, the response has been varied, hasn't it? You, know, you would expect from such a complicated that you would expect from such a complicated issue, uh, and, and I'm quite sure that each of us have our, our own takes, our, our own views on, on, on how we should respond. As just thinking as, as, as a nation, but it's clearly an issue that's actually not going to go away anytime soon. And as the church, as, as the family of God's people, for us, indifference is not an option. Because we are to care deeply about those things that God cares about. Now, I don't think you can actually speak on a subject like this without looking at, at statistics, and we know we all love statistics, but I'm not going to completely bury you and bore you with statistics. I mean, it's really good on my part because you're all wearing masks, so I can't see you yawn. Uh, but we're just going to look at a few statistics because statistics are helpful. They ground us in, in reality. And, and these probably aren't going to be new statistics. If we could put the kind of first one up, please, that'd be, that'd be great. Now, did you know that there are around... 82 million people around the world that are displaced. The highest figures ever recorded. 82 million people. Next slide. Yeah, that means that approximately 1% of the whole world's population is displaced, and that's staggering. Next slide. You know, 50% of the world's refugees are children. Next slide. And this is what shocked me and surprised me. Developing countries, or what we used to call third world countries, host 85% of the world's refugees. Do you feel concerned about uh, how many we take in? Think again. Drop in the ocean. And the final slide. One person is forcibly displaced approximately every two seconds. Staggering figures. Now, I'm, I, 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 I am aware, that as, as I've already, already mentioned, that this is an incredibly complex subject. And if I'm honest, as I was preparing this, I was actually regretting saying, yes, I would talk on the subject of uh, foreigners, displaced, refugees. But there we go. Yeah, over the years, I've spent times 
and we lived in West Africa, sitting in refugee camps, uh, listening to the stories of those who'd been fleeing uh, conflict. And I'm still engaged to some extent from a distance of, of, of uh, you know, good friends in West Africa who are still engaged in, in, show, in demonstrating the love of Christ. I know there are those in this congregation who have, 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 have given towards helping uh, demonstrate Christ's love with, with, with food and clothing in these contexts. So the church here is still engaged in some of the ministry that, uh, well, I, I continue to be involved in overseas. But this doesn't mean I'm an expert. <laughs> just, to, just to kind of, as, as my get out clause, I, I, I'm, I'm not an expert. I describe as someone who is kind of probably exposed to some of these things. And to my shame, I'm not engaged with the, the issues of crisis in the UK. I've just not had the energy or time, but I'm aware and sometimes feel maybe I, you know, I should be. But there we go, that's me, that's me being honest. But it's an important issue, isn't it? You know, when discussing social action and the kingdom of God and the very real question of who is my neighbor. You know, as, as part of my reading, I found uh, what uh, the, the Church of England put together, a, a, they had a, a kind of working committee and a group and they put together a paper, uh, and the paper was entitled Mission, Migrants, and Refugees. If any of you want it, I can, I'm very happy to send it to you. It, it was, you know, it's, it's not nicked or anything. It is out there for everybody to see, but it's really kind of quite a helpful uh, article uh, surrounding uh, these uh, issues. Uh, but the, in, in, in this paper that was written for the Church of England, commissioned by the Church of England, I just want to quote uh, what, what was said in, uh, in relation to the images that we see uh, flash up on our, on our screens. It says that you know, we, we care today because of the pictures are so awful. And it goes on to say, but why should we care tomorrow? In other words, we may be moved to tears today when we see the harrowing images on our news feeds, but then we move on. Or our screens are filled with the next thing, or the images change, presenting a very different angle and evoking a very different emotion. One moment, we're given heartbreaking pictures of suffering children. And the next, we are fed pictures of chanting mobs, faceless people in hoodies, cutting fences and trying to break into lorries at Calais. I think it was David Cameron who described uh, those entering uh, Europe en masse as, as a swarm, and, and, and he had to retract that statement very, very quickly for using such uh, emotive and dehumanizing language. You know, we must be very careful not to dehumanize these faceless masses that we see on our screens. And of course, there are others who use these images of, of, of mass people movements for their own political agenda. And I don't think I need to actually kind of go into any details to know who that was and what agenda they were pushing. 
and these images we use to appeal to our less noble leanings towards that of self-preservation and nationalism. You know, I think this is kind of honesty time, really, and I think we, we do need to be honest with ourselves. You know, when we see these conflicting images used to great effect to influence and shape our thinking, how do we respond? I think so often we find ourselves not really knowing quite how we should think or what to think. You know, our emotions are battered from one end of the spectrum to the other. And maybe some of our thoughts and emotions, we've even shocked ourselves as they don't always seem to reflect or seem to line up with the faith we profess in the God who cares so deeply for the vulnerable and for the displaced and the migrant. Now, as I mentioned at the beginning, it's, I think it's easy to feel quite overwhelmed when thinking about such enormous subjects. And it's not been an easy message to prepare for. This is where my head has been most of the week, and I should probably hear a lot more, to be honest. I think, it, I think that's probably true of most of us. Yeah, but the aim of, of this morning is not to send us into what, some kind of guilt trip, because a guilt trip doesn't help anybody. It doesn't motivate us into action. It, it guilt more, more than likely will paralyze us from action. But this morning, really, again, it is an attempt to bring a kingdom perspective into our thinking. You know, for, for some of us this morning, whether we're, we're here in the building or whether it's, it's listening online, it, it, it may be just a, a realignment of our thinking in, in some way, shape, or form or another. You know, for, for, other, for the others of us, it, it may prompt us in, in, into action. And I don't know what that may look like. You know, it might be worth discussing with the church elders. Come and kind of chat to me and email me as, as the organization I work for. We do work with migrants in, in, in Europe and in, and in the UK. But probably for most of us, it may just be a simple reminder of what we already know in our hearts and in our minds. And if we're honest, we all need reminding of these kinds of things from time to time. And so as we come into land, I just want us to actually kind of remind ourselves of just three things. And the first thing is this. We need to remember that we are our brother's Keeper. You know, whether we are stirred by the heart-wrenching images of tragedy or confronted with the images of faceless masses, we must remember in whose 
image we are created. Because they too are created in that same image. You know, one reporter ex explained how, how many migrants often describe their experiences. And he, he, he writes this, you know, what is most difficult for many of them is, is not the pain and the suffering of, phys of the physical journey, as, as horrendous as it, as, it, as it is and as it was, crossing deserts and oceans in rubber dinghies or stowing away in lorries or containers. But what often hurts the most, said one refugee, are the indignities when people treat us less than human, like pieces of rubbish, as if we were worth nothing. Listen to what the psalmist says in Psalm 8. He says, what is man that you are mindful of him? The son of man that you care for him. And then he goes on to say, because you have crowned him with glory and honor. Yeah, why has the Lord crowned us with glory and honor? Because we are created in the image of the one who creates. We have infinite worth as human beings when we think about who is our neighbor. Remember, we are our brother's keeper. Now, the second thing I, I want us to remember is this. Remember that for many, they are vulnerable. You know, I don't have time to talk about the likes of exploitation and human trafficking and modern-day slavery, although it, we all know it, it goes on, and rampant probably even in our town. But we need to remember for many who have arrived on our shores, whether legally or illegally, they have, they have had to flee indescribable situations. For many, they arrive traumatized, heartbroken at having to leave their homes and families, and in need maybe just of an accepting glance or a smile or someone who is willing to listen to their story, which fills out who they really are, not just a faceless mask. And as the church, as God's kingdom community, we take our cue from the one who watches over the foreigner and cares deeply for the vulnerable. And finally, and this is probably the most obvious, we need to remember to love. Yeah, there's been a popular teaching that's been flying around the church, not, not just in the UK, but I think world, worldwide. And it's been flying around the church for some time, and the actual teaching isn't actually correct. And the teaching is this. The teaching is, until you're able to love yourself, you will not be able to love others. 
And often the, the actual scripture that is quoted is Matthew 19, 19. You know, love your neighbor as you love yourself. Well, actually, that's not a, that is not what it says. It says, love your neighbor as yourself. And when we think about this, there's quite a distinct difference. Let me explain. If my love for others depends on how I feel about myself, self-love, I'm really not sure how that would work out. Because as most of us know, how we feel about ourselves has so many varying factors, doesn't it? It changes from one day to the next. One moment, I can think, I'm okay. And the next moment, well, we're, we're human. We know that we're fragile. If my basis of loving somebody else depends on love for myself, then it's going to be really hit and miss on how that works out, isn't it? No. Loving ourself should not be the basis of loving others. Or should I say, if loving if loving ourselves is the basis of loving others, then I'm going to need to kind of work a whole lot harder at loving my neighbor, stranger, migrant. You see, at best, this thinking on loving ourselves before we are able to love others is deeply flawed. So what is the basis of loving others, of being loving? There's a very simple verse in 1 John 4, 19. It says this. We love because he first loved us. And it is on this basis of Christ's love for us. This basis of Christ's love that is sure, that is steadfast, that is unchanging, that is incredibly lavish, that is unearned, that is unmatchable, that is not based on my performance or my work, but on his work, and is totally dependable to the point that the Apostle Paul can say that nothing else in all creation is able to separate us from the love of God. That is the basis of where we find our confidence and our self-worth. And on that basis and that basis alone are we able to love others and even go the extra mile, able to love those who are not like us, go the extra mile even to love our enemies. And on that basis alone. And as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.14, on the basis of Christ laying down his life, he says that Christ's love compels us. And that's the gospel message, and that is the good news we take. And informs our actions. And informs how we treat our neighbor. 
We're going to move into a time of communion now. And, and I want us to continue to think of, of, of Christ's love for us. But actually considering Christ, who became an immigrant for us, and he leaves his place in heaven, and he enters into our world that was hostile towards him, he entered into our world that treated us inhumanely in order to take our brokenness in exchange for his righteousness. Listen to these words of uh, two Philippians that should come up on the screen now. He says, Who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient, even to death on a cross. Now, Scripture tells us that we are called to, to before we kind of take you know, the Lord's Supper, and if you have the, the emblems at home, uh, have them ready now. But I just want to spend some time, just a few moments, just reflecting and allowing the Spirit to speak into to our hearts and putting his finger on some of those areas that we need to say sorry for. And considering this morning's uh, message. Are there areas in our lives where we haven't acted in a way that the Lord Jesus Christ would have wanted us to act? Through our attitudes, as we see these images come up on the screen, have we been more swayed by the media than we have God's word? I won't go on. I'm just going to leave a few moments silence, and then I'm going to say a prayer, and then we're going to take communion. this is a prayer taken from the Anglican prayer book. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we have sinned against you and against our neighbor in thought and word and deed through negligence, through weakness, through our own deliberate fault. We are truly sorry and repent and say sorry for all our sins for the sake of your son, Jesus Christ, who died for us. Forgive us all that is past and grant that we may serve you in newness of life.
to the glory of your name.